0: Good. Well, with that, we're going to be in Genesis. We've been going uh, through the book of Genesis since the fall. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 20 and 21. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in the the chairs around you. We're going to be on page 14. We are making moves. We start on page 1. We're on page 14. It's only taken us like, I don't know, 20 weeks to get here, but we're here on page 14. Uh, If you would, would you please stand as I read God's Word? And we're going to read, not both chapters, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 in chapter 20, then we'll shoot over to 21 and read verses 1 through 6. Chapter 20 of Genesis. From there, Abraham journeyed to the territory of the Negev and led between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned to Gerard. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said that he is my brother? But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Go to uh, chapter 21 now. The Lord visited Sarah, and as he said, the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called his name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son on Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Verse five. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, "God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me." And she said, "Who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him." a son in the old age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. We've seen a lot of firsts in this book, and we've seen a lot of promises in this book, and here we come to one of the greatest promises fulfilled, the birth of Isaac. Lord, thank you for your word, Lord. You said that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you and meditate on your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless the crossing, you would bless this church, these individuals, as we dive into your word this morning. Lord, may we walk out of here with more joy and with more faith because we have studied and meditated and dissected your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. All right. All right. I want to ask you a question. When? I want you to think about a time when you were promised something. A time when you were promised something, and then when that promise was fulfilled. Think of a time when you were promised something, and then that promise was fulfilled. Maybe it was a a birthday promise, right? Uh, A lot of us in here, remember, you know, you're... You're 9, you're 10, you're 12, you're 15. You're like, my 16th birthday is coming. And, and the government promises when I turn 16, what? I can get a driver's license, right? Some of you guys remember that day. You, you were like William Wallace. You were like, freedom, right? Maybe it was graduation, a school promise, a school graduation promise, right? You, you went to a certain school, a certain college, and they said, hey, if you take these certain classes and you pass them, you will get this degree, and this degree will get you a certain job. And many of you have, have, have done that. The promise of getting a certain degree, and now you're walking and, and, and being fulfilled in the job that you have were promised. Maybe it's an engagement. We have several couples in, in the crossing that are engaged, and they're walking in the midst of the promise. It hasn't been fulfilled yet, but they're walking in the midst of the promise, and their joy, their anticipation is building until that day when that promise is fulfilled, such as May 24th, 2019. Anyone in here getting married on that day? Yes, right over here on my right. There we go. Yes, there's a, there's a promise, there's an anticipation to that fulfillment, When I was thinking about this, the absolute joy when my wife Rita and I uh, had our first kiss as Mr. and Mrs. Santini on July 1st, 1995, that I still get to experience the joy of that fulfillment. 24 years later, we are still kissing as Mr. and Mrs. Santini, right? It's awesome. Well, five weeks ago, we read about a promise given to Abraham and promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12. And it's taken nine chapters later until this promise was fulfilled, Genesis 21. This promise becomes a reality. And really, since Genesis chapter 3, we've seen this little theme starting to build promise and fulfillment. Uh, God has been making these promises since Genesis chapter 3. And in these promises that were made to Abraham, or made to Adam, or to Eve, or to Noah, to Abraham, to Sarah, not only were for them, but also have implications on your life and my life this morning. Our future, our faith is built on the promises of God being fulfilled by the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ, both past, present, and future. In fact, we can divide this book up, the Bible, into two halves. The Old Testament would be promise, and the New Testament would be fulfillment. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the theme that we're going to see today of promise and fulfillment, starting in this book of Genesis but having implications for you and me. So let's behold some of these promises in Genesis chapter 20 and 21. First we see the promises of the Lord protected in chapter 20. The promises of the Lord protected in Genesis chapter 20. Look at verse 1. For there, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. Just, now this area, Gerar is just south of the border, south of the promised land, uh, in this land controlled by the Philistines. And it says in verse two, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, for those of us that were here in Genesis chapter 12, we immediately say what to ourselves? Here we go again, right? Here we go again with Abraham giving away his wife to another king. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, it was Abraham gave his wife to the Pharaoh of Egypt when he journeyed south, and we see that he he does it again here. Now, remember the first time that Sarah was about 65 years old. And it says in, in Genesis chapter twelve that she was very beautiful. The legend, tradition says that 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 Sarah had the beauty of Eve. She was a, a beautiful woman, even at sixty-five. But here Sarah is ninety. All right? So you'd be like, yo, Abraham, bro, what what are you worrying about, man? She's ninety, right? We don't see any Victoria's secret models at ninety, do we? Or Maybelline, whatever. What are you worried about? Why are you giving her away again? Why are you scared? And what we see here, it's just, it's, this is not an issue with Sarah. This is an issue in Abraham's heart. There's a, there's a pattern that reoccurs in Abraham's heart, that he's been doing this for 25 years. And really, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, he has planned this out. This is a sin that happens over and over in Abraham. It's a, it's a pattern. It's a sinful pattern that Abraham had, that has had for 25 years. And so when we sit here and we read this, we're like, dude, Abraham, what is your problem? How come you can't get over this? When you did this the first time, it was unbelievable. But the second time, there's no words. I mean, you and Sarah are the first family, right, of, the, of God's chosen people. This doesn't happen to people like you. It happens to people like the Kardashians or something along those lines. But really what this does is it brings up an important question to you and me. The question is, how would you counsel Abraham and Sarah in this, knowing this sinful pattern? How, how would you come alongside them and, and, and talk to Abraham about this sin that recurs over and over again? See, this should hit you and me right between the eyes. And coming, instead of coming too hard down on Abraham, we should say, like, whoa. We should look at our own lives and say, what are the sinful patterns in our own lives that we have been, been battling for years? Some of us, maybe 25 years, there's been a certain sinful pattern in our lives that we still can't get over, we're still battling with. It's a good, good question for us this morning. And here's what's crucial. Here's what's crucial to point out. Abraham is a believer, right? If you guys remember in Genesis fifteen six. It says this, that he believed God by faith and it was counted to him as righteous. He was justified. He's a justified believer, and yet he still struggles with sin. He still battles. He still rebels against the Lord. Something that he is battling with. And for us, before we come again too hard on Abraham, we have the the total, complete revelation of God. We have the, the Spirit of God that indwells us. We have a great church community that, that encourages us to, to battle sin, and yet we still fall as well. And you might say, well, I haven't given my wife up to another man. Well, that's good, right? I mean, that's good. But what about your battles with lust, sexual immorality that, that Matt talked about last week? What about your battle with anger? You seem you can 't get a hold of it you're, 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 you lose it on your on your spouse or your kids or your coworkers, or what about gossip it, we, we, we have trouble controlling our tongue, whether it 's talking about people or or language or cussing or what about being a critic, always criticizing you 're like well that 's my spiritual gift and it 's like no, that 's not a spiritual gift. Encouragement is a spiritual gift. Being critical is not a spiritual gift. What does this bring up? This, The struggle is real, right? I mean, we're all in here and be like, man, the struggle is real. Uh, It was a struggle for Abraham and Sarah. It was a struggle for the Apostle Paul as we'll see in Romans 7. It's a struggle for you and me this morning. In fact, let me encourage you. You guys have actually passed the test this morning where others from the crossing have failed the test. the, The struggle we're talking about is the battle between what? The spirit and the flesh, right? Uh, The the new nature versus the old nature. That's what what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, that there's a war going on in your heart and in my heart about the, the spirit and the flesh. How you guys won the day today is, even though it's snowing and ice and it's been snowing for two days, you guys are like, hey, today is Sunday. Today is the Lord's day. Rain, snow, or shine, or ice, I'm getting my family to worship with God's people. So give yourselves a hand real quick right now. You guys, right? All right. Not no golf clap, okay? Because the spirit won in your heart this morning. There are others where the flesh won in their heart this morning, right? They woke up and said, oh, still snowing. I'm going back to bed, right? I went to life group this past week. They'll understand, right? I mean, who had that thought in their mind this morning? It's like, oh, should I go to church or not go to church? Go ahead and raise your hand, because I'm going to raise my hand. I mean, I, was, I called Daniel yesterday on the way home. I was down in Denver driving up, and I'm like, man, Daniel, this roads are nasty. He's like, well, what are you proposing? And, in my, and I, said, I said, no, nothing. But in my heart, I was like, well, we should cancel church tomorrow so I can sleep in. <laughs> we all have this battle, this struggle, and we see the same with Abraham. It's the, the battle between the spirit and the flesh. Paul addresses this in a number of areas, but in Romans chapter 7, he kind of drives and drills down into this battle that we have. He says this in Romans 7, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of the Lord, but in my inner being, I see my members of another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells In my members, you see, we will have this battle, this this battle between the spirit and the flesh, the the battle between obeying God's word and disobeying God's word. We have that every single time, and we'll have this battle until we get to glory. But there's hope. This is how he ends Romans chapter seven, verse twenty-four. He says this, Paul, wretched man that I am. The apostle Paul who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, wretched man that I am. If he's wretched, what does that make us? He says this, though, who will deliver me? Who will save me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what will save us. That's what's going to help us battle the spirit and the flesh because of us looking to the gospel, both at a wide lens that, that God has saved us from the penalty and the power of death through death on the cross. We've, we sung about that this morning. And those that put their faith in Him are a new creation. We're justified and, and we're saved. But also on a daily life, we, we now have the ability to reject sin and obey God. When, when temptation comes up, when we wake up on Sunday morning and we have that temptation in the morning to say, oh, let's just sleep in because it's snow and everyone will understand that the the Spirit gives us the ability to say, no, today is the Lord's day. Let's get there and worship with God's people. The gospel uh, allows us to overcome the flesh. This is the struggle that Abraham has. This is the struggle that we have. But the good news is, is that we have the full revelation of God and the gospel that will help us overcome that battle that's in all of us. We can move on. Verse 3. We see that the Lord confronts Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is the king of the Philistines at this, if you didn't catch that already. And Abimelech pleads his innocence. He said, yo, I mean, Abraham said that this is my sister. She said this is my brother. And so as we know from Genesis 12, that a lot of times, uh, sojourners, when they go to a foreign land, the, the king of that land would, would take whatever he wants, and so he, he took Abraham's wife, and instead of killing him, he lets, the, he lets Abraham live. And then he goes on to the point of saying that this, Abimelech, pleading his case to the Lord, in verse 6, it says this, that the Lord kept Abimelech from sinning. And what I want to do is, is look more closely at verse 3, in particular, of two words, But look at verse 3, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is not a man's wife. I call that a nightmare right there. I don't know about you. But verse 3, those first two words of verse 3 are so important, and you should circle them. But God. Throughout the scriptures, we see how important these words are. One pastor uh, thought these words were so important, and they are, he wrote a whole little book called But God back in the, the early 80s, which would be a good book for us to read. But what we see here is in the midst of Abraham's sin, but God still sovereignly, sovereignly is going to be true to his promises. He's actually protecting his promises made right here and right now to Abraham because what could really happen if God didn't intervene? Abimelech could take Sarah as his wife, and Abraham would never have a chance to be with his wife anymore. But he protects him by not letting Abimelech touch Sarah. The Lord protects his promise. The Lord intervenes at a very personal level. So we see throughout Scripture sometimes God will intervene at a, at a global level, but here we see that God intervenes at a Individual level, to the point of causing a non-believer not to sleep with another woman. The Lord intervenes. This isn't the first time we actually see this in human history in Genesis. We've seen this a couple times. We've seen it in Genesis chapter 3. We see it in Genesis chapter 8, where it says, But God remembered Noah. We re- see it in Genesis chapter 50 with Joseph and his brothers as you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. We see God is intimately involved in life, in your life and my life. We've, we've experienced the but God in our life if we're believer. We've experienced it intimately. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is what it says. Paul says, and you... And I were dead, sons and daughters of disobedience, living in passions of our flesh, by nature children of wrath. What Paul is describing there, a non-believer, that we are separate, rebelling from God. But verse 4 says this, but God. Many people say that's the gospel in a nutshell right there. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we are dead in our sin and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. But, God, you've experienced that in your life if you are in Christ. And you know when you experience that, that is a moment of of where it changes your life forever. It marks you forever. Your life is on a different path, a different trajectory. The Lord is an X factor in life, to put it mildly. And he was working back in Abraham and Sarah, protecting his promise, but he's also working today in you and in me, fulfilling his promises Sometimes he'll get to the point where he'll cause a non-believer to sin, and at other times he'll step into someone's heart and save them. I love Isaiah 46 talking about how God is going to work out his plan. It says this, For I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling the birds of prey from the east, and the man of my counsel from the far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it it, and I will do it. But God. I love these little words, and you should love those little words. Because, again, it just talks about God's sovereignty over the world, the globe, moving things to the, the plan that he, had, that he has prescribed, but also at an individual level. It's a, these words are, another other words, for, for grace or salvation. One makes this comment, recognizing about these words here. He says, the text makes the claim that Abraham, Abraham is the chosen of God not by works which are lacking, nor even by his great faith, which is feeble here, but only by God's incredible grace. So we see here in chapter 20 is God protecting his promise to Abraham. This should give us extreme joy this morning, you and me, extreme joy, knowing that There's nothing that is going to take God off his throne. There's nothing that is going to thwart his plan. He is sovereign. He is controlling. He is working all things out to fulfill his plan. And here's the thing that's even more amazing than that is that he still uses us. He still uses individuals like Abraham who gives his wife away again for a second time and has this perpetual battle with sin. Look at verse 20, uh, look at verse 7 of chapter 20. God, speaks, God is speaking to Abimelech, and this is what he says in verse 7 of chapter 20. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a pain in my side. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? It says he is a what? A prophet. Think about that for a second. If there was ever a time to make an example of Abraham. If there was ever a time to condemn Abraham for his sin, it would have been right here in front of this non-believer. But what does he say? He boasts about Abraham. He says, Abraham is my prophet. This is the first time the word prophet is mentioned in the Bibles. That is amazing. Why does God do that? Why does God do that? Because, and this is so important, because Abraham's sin doesn't affect his status or position with God at all. Do you guys get that? Abraham's sin doesn't affect his status or position with God at all. Why? This is the implications of being justified by faith. This is a fruit of Genesis 15, 6. Because Abraham believed God, God reckoned to him or counted him as righteous, as not guilty. And from that point on, his position was totally changed. The Lord would not see him anymore as a sinner, as we talked about, sung in the song, or Jack mentioned, we see him as a saint. Isn't that good news to you and to me this morning? It's great news, right? That when we sin, God sees us through Christ, and he sees us as not guilty, as a saint, as a son, as a daughter, as a prophet, just like Abraham. Here's the simple point. Abraham still sinned 25 years But God still loves them. You see, God's love is determined on Abraham's obedience. We don't obey and then get God's love. God loves us, therefore we obey. This is what we see. Our standing, our blessing is not based on our works, but on God's love. That's a great, great point in verse 7 is pointing out. We see that after this dialogue with God and Abimelech in verse 8, says this, so Abimelech rose early in the morning. <laughs> of course he did, right? When you get confronted with God in a dream and he says he's going to kill you if you don't give the man's wife back, what do you do? You, you rise up early and you go give the wife back. And then we see in 11 through 13, after Abraham again is rebuked by a non-believer, he starts to explain himself. He starts to make excuses of why he sins. And again, he gets to the point where we see why Abraham gave his wife up again. He he, he had Sarah, his wife, in verse um, 13, the end of 13. This is the kindness you must do to me at every place which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. I mean, Abraham's not even hiding his sin anymore, but boasting in it. It's crazy. You might remember a couple weeks ago, ladies, when I... Uh, or men or husbands when i told you uh, husbands there are time not to listen to your wife Do you guys remember that a couple weeks ago well here it's changed there are times ladies that you do not listen to your husband this is one of those times because i'm sure you you, you didn't say this in your wedding vows this is what you didn't commit to i i will you, i'm sure you didn't say this uh, will you have me as your lawfully wedded husband to have and to hold from this day forward for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and wherever we go, if I'm in trouble, I'll be your sister. Anyone? Anyone? Any ladies do that? No. It's craziness. But again, we see what happens when we give into the flesh. Well, Abimelech, the nonbeliever, obeys the Lord faithfully. Gives back Sarah with extra blessings of animals and money to show the world that Sarah was was honored and didn't commit adultery. But again, what we see in Genesis chapter 20 is we see the Lord protecting his promise. The Lord protecting his promise primarily by his sovereign intervention. And secondarily, we see an example of Romans 8.28 in Abraham's life. A verse that we all hold dear that that even when we sin, even when we fall short, even when we rebel against God, God will use that sin for our good. That's an incredible promise, but God. Finally, let's look at Genesis chapter 21 now. The promises of the Lord fulfilled. The promises of the Lord fulfilled. And what we see in in chapter 21 is really two promises fulfilled. We see a, a promise fulfilled in Sarah, But we also see a promise fulfilled in Hagar. We're going to primarily focus on Sarah, the promise made there. This is also one other thing I want to point out. This is why we go through books of the Bible. This is why we go through uh, chapters of the Bible. Because we see the weight of these verses in their context as they're playing out, as the Holy Spirit wrote them down as they were intended. We see the power of the Scriptures. And we see at the pinnacle uh, of, of, of basically the story from Genesis 12 to 21 is in verse 21. There's a story that's building till we get to the pinnacle, the crescendo in 21 verse one. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. At that point, we should be standing up and going, yes, yes, yes. Why? Because what Moses is trying us to do is there's a story here. There's a promise that we've been tracking. And he wants us to go all the way back to actually Genesis 11, verse 30, where it began here. And Sarah was barren. She had no children. And then he wants us to to think through the promise of Genesis 12. That Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham's like, I'm 75 years. I got no children. And my wife is barren. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to the world. And then in Genesis chapter 15, and then in Genesis chapter 17 and 18, where the promise goes from Abraham, but Abraham brings Sarah in and says, the Lord says, no, Sarah, you are going to be the one that's going to bear the promised child. And then we get to 20, verse 17. It says this, Then Abram prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. But when Abimelech gave Sarah back, Abraham prayed later on in the story and the the wounds were open. And we saw that line go on as well. And then we get to verse 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his own age at the time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called his name of a son who was born to him. And Sarah isaac as god commanded him and abraham circumcised him his son isaac on the eighth day which god also commanded And we're like yes the promise has been answered fulfilled can you imagine abraham and sarah what we want to point out quickly is two very important points this morning first is that god is absolutely sovereign he's absolutely sovereign in control of everything and everyone in every situation. And he will bring his promises to pass and no one, no thing can stop him from accomplishing what he has ordained as we looked at in Isaiah 46. And in this case, what he is purposing and what he's fulfilling is the covenant made with Abraham. And second, that God is the giver of life. He's the giver of life. He is the one that opens up and closes wombs. And I don't think we're in this text by accident this week. I think if you are... New savvy, know what's going on in the world, in particular in, in, in the government, in a certain bill that was just not passed or blocked. Um, this portion of Scripture, what we've just read, should bring weight. Our hearts should be heartbroken because we just, again, saw that 44 Democratic senators voted for infanticide this past week, blocking the Born Alive Bill. The Bible says that, that, that we as a church are called to be a, a voice to the voiceless, that, that God cares about life. He is the giver of life, not us. We don't determine who lives and who dies. He is the giver of life. So our, our hearts should be heartbroken at one level of what is taking place in our country, and we need to pray We need to educate, we need to step out in faith and have dialogues in our circles of influence about this topic and talk about and share this story of of Sarah and Abraham and how the God is the giver and the protector of life. God is the giver. But back to the text here. Again, when we hit verse one of chapter 21, we should shout for joy. We should be ecstatic that this promise was fulfilled. I mean, we've been waiting for this for the past five weeks since Genesis chapter 12, nine chapters later. For Abraham and Sarah, do you know how long they've been waiting for this promise? 25 years. It's been 25 years since they first heard the Lord give them this promise. They've waited 25 years, and we've seen a lot of life lived in between there, right? How about you? What what have you waited for? twenty five years for some of you are just barely twenty five years old, and this is a very difficult concept for us to understand because we we live in such a culture that 's get it now culture i mean if you 're hungry, we go down to the to the restaurant or the grocery store right i mean if we to we want to wash our car, we go to the car wash right i mean there's there's a, we, we have we have an instant culture, so for someone to wait twenty five years for a promise it 's just like Man, that's tough to imagine. Some of us in here, maybe, have, maybe it's been retirement. That's the one thing that we've waited for 25 years. I don't think too many people have had a promise and waited 25 years. It's beyond our comprehension. But we see that they have. They were faithful. But why so long? Why so long? And my guess is this, on, on this side of eternity, was to strengthen Abraham and Sarah's faith. That's why the Lord waited so long. And not only to strengthen Abraham and and Sarah's faith, but your faith and my faith. Your faith and my faith. I love how one says it. One says it like this. Faith is just not a part of our Christian walk. It is all of our Christian walk. Our faith is just not a part of our Christian walk. Our faith is all of our Christian walk. Faith in Jesus directs our lives. 2 Corinthians 5 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. So, 25 years, God, when He came in Genesis chapter 12, you know, a, a week later or a month later, He could have he let uh, Sarah get pregnant. But what kind of faith would that have built up? Maybe not a lot. If the Lord fulfilled that promise the next month after giving it to Abraham, it would probably produce joy and, and worship immediately, absolutely. But probably not deep faith. Why? Because for deep faith to be cultivated, for deep faith to grow, it must be tested, right? It must be exercised. There must be some strain involved. It's a definition of faith. Several years ago, I gave you the illustration of growing faith of a of a muscle, how a muscle grows and becomes stronger. You A muscle grows and becomes stronger when you work it out, when you break it down, when you literally tear it down. And the best growth in muscles is when you tear it down to failure. And this is what we see the Lord doing with Abraham and Sarah. He's breaking them down and testing them to, to failure, to, to to a place of dependence. 25 years. I mean, Sarah's seeing Hagar give birth to a son, Ishmael. She's trying to help God out, as we saw. This is This is a struggle. This is a battle. And it's like our faith. The Lord exercises our faith to failure sometimes to a point where we need to get to total dependence on Him. When we get to that place, our faith grows. Our faith gets stronger. And So the question for, for you this morning for, and for me this morning is, is the Lord putting your faith through a test, a f- kind of a, a faith workout, a faith exercise this morning? Or maybe it's a week Or maybe it's a it's a month long test, maybe it's a year long test right now. Is he pushing you to the brink of dependence and faith on him? To trust in his promises that he has given us in his word. Can we just be honest in here? We can be honest that this walk of faith is not easy. It's hard. Sometimes it just flat out sucks, right? It's not enjoyable. It's a battle, it's a strain. There's pain, there's soreness, but ultimately in the end, as we even look at the illustration of muscle, there is healing, there is growth, and there is strength. So if you're in here and, you're, and your faith is being tested, you're, you're, you see the Lord not answering your prayers right now, but, but, but telling you to wait. Let Abraham and Sarah's story encourage you this morning. And notice that their faith wasn't perfect It's it's imperfect faith, right? Yet the Lord still honors his promises. Let this story spur you on to growth. Know this, know this, that the Lord is sovereign and he is strengthening your faith in the trial that you're in right now and fulfilling his promises in you and in your life. You just got to trust him. You just got to pour yourself into him and, and lean more into him right now. And you you might ask, well, why is it taking so long? Is is he really working things out? These are questions that we can have in our own mind. Let me just remind you that his timing and fulfilling his promises are never late. Sometimes our timing is just a little bit early, right? I heard a great story this past week of the Clark family. The Clark family um, was around 1912. They were looking to come to America from Europe, and, and the father um, they had nine kids, so he worked and he saved and he worked and he saved and he worked and he saved so they could get on the ship to come to America, the promised life, right? Him and his, and his nine, nine, nine kids and his wife. Well, a week before he got there, he, got the, he saved enough money to buy tickets and passports for everyone. A week before they got on the ship to, to go, uh, their, their, their dog bit their son. And so they had to be quarantined. Back then, you're quarantined for about 14 days. So they went to the doctor. The doctor sewed him up, and the whole family was quarantined. And they missed the ship. They missed the boat to the promised land. So the dad was mad. He was mad at God. He was mad at the dog for biting his son. He was mad at his son. And then he got this news. And five days later, they heard the news that the ship, the Titanic, had sunk in the cold, icy waters, killing thousands of passengers. And when he heard the news, he just wept. And and he, and he thanked the Lord for the providence in his life. He kissed his son. He thanked the dog for biting his son, right? And he thanked God again. Why? Because the reality hit that with God's promises, his delays are not his denials. His delays are not his denials. Some of you right now are, again, walking through the valley and you're trying to hold on to the promises of God. Again, his delays are not his denials. He will be faithful. It just might be he's trying to strengthen your faith right now. He will fulfill his promises in your life. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's, it's right now, but sometimes it, it takes years, maybe even 25 years. But know this that he will fulfill it. He will take care of you. We see that they have this baby named Isaac. The name Isaac means laughter. Uh, And we know throughout this story as we've been following and going through it that laughter has been a reoccurring characteristic of Abraham and Sarah, sometimes for good, sometimes not for good. In verse 6, we see Sarah says this to herself. God has made laughter for me, or God has made me laugh. And everyone who hears about this will laugh over me, or will laugh with me. Thousands of years later, we laugh about this situation. We've laughed over the last several weeks, because a 90-year-old woman has given birth to a baby. Like we said, there's not a lot of maternity wards in nursing homes, is there? We laugh. She she goes on and, and adds more humor in verse seven, where she says this: "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in old age." You see that again? Theme: in old age, and old age, and old age. You don't see too many ninety-year-old women breastfeeding, is what she's saying, right? She's like, "This is hilarious. This is awesome." And again, as we Look back on this week. I don't think it's an accident that we've come to this text and that the Lord is highlighting his promised child Isaac and his, and his name means laughter. I think in our culture, in our day, we need more laughter. We need, we need more humor. Did you guys know, this is an amazing stat I, just, I read this past week, did you guys know like preschool children, younger children, laugh on average 300 times a day? 300 times a day on average. By themselves. They just laugh, right? I mean, I got five kids. I, can, I, I, I got that, yeah. Do you know how many times adults laugh on average a day? 17. 300 a day for children, 17 for adults. I'm reminded of the joker and his quote, why so serious, right? Why are we so serious? Laugh. We, we need to laugh more. We need to joke more. We need to kid more on a daily basis. And we know that laughing has tremendous health benefits. You can just type in laughter and health benefits, and there's all kinds of great stuff. I love that we come to this week and what we just, again, we need to be praying for our leaders in government. But we need to laugh. We need to laugh in such a a crazy time that we're living in. Why so serious? Let's laugh. Let's, Let's be with Sarah Everyone who hears about this story will laugh. Let's laugh with Sarah, along with Sarah this morning. Well, we see she's laughing because it's a a miracle birth. It was a miracle promise with a miracle fulfillment by a miracle birth. And Moses wants us to, to trace this theme forward to another miracle promise, miracle, miraculous promise, miraculous fulfillment, and a miraculous birth. And that points us to who? Christ. Sarah was old, Mary was young. Sarah was not a virgin, Mary was a virgin. Sarah bore a son, a son of promise. Jesus, Mary born a son, a son of promise. One was 25 years old, one, one took 25 years to accomplish, one took thousands of years. It's a miraculous birth on, on two, two spectrums. God is, is, is pushing us to see that we started the first promise in Genesis chapter 3, when adam and eve sinned god promised the gospel in genesis chapter 3:15 and since then it's all been pointing us to the to the promise fulfilled in our savior jesus christ and so praise the lord as 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 we live in the year 2019 we get to to look back cuz we have the full revelation of god and we get to see all these puzzle pieces in genesis and exodus and samuel and isaiah come to to fruition in the new testament So by the time we get all these puzzle pieces picked, when we get to Matthew chapter 1, it says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ from the line of David from Abraham. They connect the dots that we should say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the gospel. The one that was going to crush the serpent's head, the one that was going to save us from our sin, the one that was going to save us from death. This is what we are beginning to see in this promise and fulfillment. And so let us rejoice in that. We see quickly in Genesis chapter 1, the rest of Genesis chapter 1, this fulfillment to um, Ishmael and and, and Hagar, that God promises to take care of them. In verses 6 through 9, we see a a sibling rivalry. Isaac is probably about three years old, just got got off weaning, off breastfeeding. Ishmael is probably a teenager. Uh, Ishmael see we see in in chapter 21 starts to bully his little brother sibling sibling rivalries right we're not surprised by that but we're not surprised by that either because we were like well how can a you know a teenager you know bully a little 3 year old well because we know that God called uh, Ishmael a wild donkey of a man and there'd be strife where wherever he is and then verses 10 through 14 uh, Sarah sees the abuse and asks Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael out <clears throat> Abraham loves his son Ishmael. He loves him. And yet he obeys his wife via the Lord. And he sends him out. How can Abraham do this? Because he's a man of faith. That, that, that God made Abraham a promise about Ishmael as well. And said, hey, I'm going to make him a, a great nation. He's going to grow and he's going to become a, a great nation. And so Abraham believes that. And so he sends them out in, into the, the arms of the Lord. And then we see in verses 15 and 21, we see a very desperate Hagar and Ishmael to the point where they're about to starve to death out in the wilderness and the Lord in his mercy shows up and provides for them, protects them and rescues them and keeps his promise made to them. What's amazing about this promise is a promise from God to a non-believer. So fast forward to you and to me, the year 2019 and when we look at God's promises, this has been the theme, the promises He's made for you. How, how do these stories of these two women, how they minister to you? How they help you stand firm on the promises of God? This week, I hope we would look at Romans 8.28, and I hope we would mem- memorize it. I mean, that's a verse that we all know, but, but study it. This is the promise of God. Let me read it to us. It says this, and we know that for those that God has called, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorifies. This is a promise for not only the future and our salvation, that one day we will reach glory, but in the here and now, that God promises to cause all things together for your good and for my good. So let us this morning, as we walk out those doors, rejoice in the promises fulfilled, in Abraham, and Sarah, in Jesus, and also in your life, but also let us anticipate. And let hope be breathed into us the promises that have yet to be fulfilled to build your faith and my faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chapter, these two chapters. These two chapters are all about your promises and your ability to fulfill those promises. And so, Lord, I thank you that you have given us a glimpse into history and how you have orchestrated your plan of salvation through this family, beginning with Abraham and Sarah, and then going through Isaac, and then we see Jacob, and we see goes through to David and and Solomon and ultimately to Christ. And the implications for us is salvation. The promise when Adam and Eve sinned that you would send a serpent crusher, that you would send a Savior. That Savior came in, in the Gospels in the name of Jesus Christ. God became man, lived the perfect life in my place and in your place, he died on the cross and made payment for my sin and your sin, and he rose again to give us a living hope. And all who believe in him will be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that if there is someone that hasn't f- embraced that promise, that today would be the day that they would bow their knee to you, repent of their sin, and trust as Christ as the promised Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.